We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I do believe that college and the college experience in totality can help make you a better soccer player. The unique lessons learned, the tools acquired, and the experiences had can help produce a more well-rounded and certainly a better educated player. Also, one that is better equipped to deal with the inevitable, a life without soccer. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the merits of college soccer. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment, and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mr. Mossy, how are you this week? I am good. I have quite the tan going, which everybody's commenting on. I've spent a lot of time at the beach in the last couple of weeks, but uh, it's been nice, very relaxing. You are a uh, bronze Adonis. Uh, I, however, unfortunately, have never uh, been able to experience something like that. I'm at uh, SPF, whatever the highest I can possibly get. But, you know, that comes with uh, the territory of uh, possessing that mutant gene. All right, listen, anything else you're doing this week besides sitting in the sun back there in Los Angeles? Once again, we are coming from uh, different coasts. I am out here actually on Cape Cod, beautiful Cape Cod, uh, recording this. And you are back in our Los Angeles studios. We've got a couple more weeks where we're going to be in different places. And then we get back together uh, at the end of August back in our traditional uh, setting in, uh, in Playa there in Los Angeles. Uh, what else are you doing besides sitting in the sun, Mossy? Anything? Well, I made my dramatic uh, return to work in time for the uh, USA-Brazil women's game, the final match of the Tournament of Nations in which the U.S. thumped Brazil to capture the title. And now I am gearing up for the start of the uh, Bundesliga. Actually, we have the uh, German Super Cup first, uh, Bayern Munich against Frankfurt. So that's my next order of business work-wise. I am looking forward to it. Yep, I'm in the midst of doing a bunch of different MLS games, and then I'll be back actually for the kickoff of Bundesliga. So Bundesliga comes up. Uh, obviously, we have the EPL coming up. All sorts of stuff coming up around the corner, and then MLS continues right on through. So, so much stuff to talk about. We're going to get to a lot of stuff this week. All right, Moss, you ready to light this candle? Yep. All right. As you know, each and every week, we kick off the pod with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. 
Yes, indeed. It's time for the State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes something like this. College soccer is back, which also means the return of the annual debate about its merits. The four-month season's too short, not enough games and practices, the level of competition varies too much, and the experience just isn't optimal for developing players. These are all valid criticisms, especially since, theoretically, colleges aren't there to develop players. But college soccer is also a sleeping giant. It could help with our player development challenges, because given the size of the U.S., it's impossible for the program to capture and develop all the talent. In player development, we worry so much about the 90 minutes that sometimes we forget about the other 22 and a half hours of the day. So arming players with the skills to survive life off the field is as important as arming them with the skills to survive on it. And college soccer's in a unique position to do exactly that. But it also has to change, and that's the rub. The NCAA is a behemoth. More young players are bypassing and rejecting scholarships and the traditional college soccer route. We'll hear about the few that make it, but we won't hear about the overall majority that won't. But I do believe that college and the college experience in totality can help make you a better soccer player. The unique lessons learned, the tools acquired, and the experiences had can help produce a more well-rounded and certainly a better educated player. Also, one that is better equipped to deal with the inevitable, a life without soccer. But unless it changes, college soccer will continue to produce diminishing returns and the opportunity to harness and capitalize on an existing infrastructure that could solve some of our player development challenges will be lost forever. And that, my friends, is this week's State of the Union regarding the merits of college soccer. Happens every time this year. All the colleges are back in force right now. Everyone's kind of showing up for preseason right now. Uh, David Mossy, general thoughts uh, to start off with on what college soccer is in 2018 and what it may or, in, 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 a, uh, in, a, in a different way, may not become going forward. Well, I, I think the top prospect, the Christian Pulisic type, probably is better off if he has that opportunity to go straight to the pros. But I think lesser prospects, uh, I think college soccer is still a viable option they should consider. Now, you said uh, it does need to make some changes. The big point of contention does seem to be the length of the season. I know there's been a lot of talk about spreading it out over two semesters. Obviously, MLS would have to tweak some of its dates as far as the combine and the draft and all that. But assuming everybody can get on the same page, would you be in favor of that? Oh, a hundred percent. And this is, and like you said, this is something that's been talked about for years. But the NCAA is not going to. Let's be honest; it's not going to react because of soccer. Uh, soccer is low on the pecking order, low on that uh, that totem pole in terms of generation and in terms of power. But this is something that soccer coaches have talked about for a long time. Sasha Kowalski uh, over in, at Maryland has led a charge to at least establish publicly that this is something that the that the players. And more importantly, that the coaches want to have. And it's not even necessarily playing more games. That gets into a whole other uh, a can of worms there. But it's also spreading it out. So you're at least playing on more days and spreading out that season so you have more quality uh, quality training. And look, uh, there there is a whole generation, no, not a whole generation, multiple generations that have come out of this traditional college uh, existence. And I still do, as I said in the State of the Union, I still believe that the college experience can have value. But it's going to be less and less as... The developmental academies take more power. The, shall we call the uh, the second teams or the farm teams of Major League Soccer teams and of other professional teams start to have more power and gain more opportunities. And look, 
How are you going to keep them down once they've seen Perry? I mean, once they've seen what players do, and once again, we only see the good. We don't see the overwhelming struggles and challenges out there. But when they see players that do have success by bypassing it and going over there, you know, they, they got stars in their eyes and they have dreams and it's hard to keep them back. But I think it is incumbent on us as we try to develop better soccer players that we also recognize that we are responsible and it's up to us and it will be reflection on us. And when I say us, it's all of us that in any way, shape or form are in charge with developing players, that we are developing the young men and women that are going to lead our country, not just kick a ball. And the vast majority of them actually will never kick a ball professionally or will do it very, very, uh, a very short period of time or certainly not at a high level. And so arming them with those tools and skills to survive when that soccer doesn't work out, I think, I think that is our responsibility. I think that burden and that onus should be put on us. So whether it's a, an academy for a, uh, an MLS team or recognizing that this pathway that exists in college can be something good because we talk about the size of our country. It is, it is impossible, as I said, for us to, to deal with that entire size on a consistent basis. And so if we were to find a way to harness it, and I, that's a big if because people, a, lot of, a lot of very powerful people and smart people have tried and still haven't been able to do it. But if we could do it, we could use the college system in the same way that the NFL uses the college system to be something and an alternative, not the only thing, but an alternative to give many more players that may, may, may need that time or may just develop later the opportunity to be in a good environment that makes them not only better soccer players, but ultimately makes them better people. And in, big, and in making them better people, they are better soccer players. I am better, and I know that I was a better soccer player for the time that I spent at Rutgers University. And you can say, well, if you'd started off earlier, uh, maybe you would have been better. But the lessons and the, and the tools that I was given, I'm telling you right now, they enabled me to better handle when everything broke for me after the World Cup in 94 and I was dealing with so much stuff that had nothing to do necessarily with the 90 minutes on the field. So I think... I think to throw college soccer out with the bathwater is uh, is not smart, but I, I don't have the answer as to how we're going to fix it other than just somebody with incredible power, incredible willpower, and incredible uh, ability finds a way, some way, to add more games, add more playing dates, uh, and spread that season out so that it at least gives these players a better opportunity to compete with those other avenues that they may have to choose from. Yeah, in general, we never think about these athletes having like a second act in their lives. You know, if you're LeBron James, you don't have to worry about it because you're going to retire from basketball a billionaire. But the other 99% players, you know, when you retire at the age of 35 or whatever it is, uh, it's nice to have a college degree or something to fall back on, uh, you know, perhaps for the, for the rest of your life. So I, I definitely agree with that point. Now, uh, you, you mentioned that college was an invaluable experience for you. Obviously, you came up during a different time. If you were like a hotshot 17-year-old today and had interest from MLS and perhaps even overseas, uh, would college still be a viable option? You, you wouldn't look at those as wasted years in your development? You'd consider playing college soccer? It's hard to look back, and, and I'd be lying if I told you that it wouldn't appeal to me to bypass college. I mean, look, you're, you're 17 years old, you're 16 years old, and the opportunity not to go and continue to study um, because you don't have any experience in college. You don't know what it is 
to go to college and have that type of experience, good or bad. And so you're just look. You got once again, you got stars in your eyes. I, no, look, that would appeal to me absolutely. And and once again, talking about the elite player may be different. And it's but it's hard to tell a player that he or she is not elite. And it's hard to say, you know what. You might not like it or understand it right now, but this is is best for you. But college is not a dirty word. College, the college experience, I know, gets crapped on a lot. And guess what? There are many college programs that are not not just not good enough, but at times even detrimental to your development as a soccer player. But I, I just like to expand what the development of a soccer player entails. It's not just about kicking a ball. And in our effort to create better soccer players with everything that we've done at a much younger age and with specialization and with academies uh, and with bypassing college, we just better be careful that while we're trying to make better soccer players, we recognize that if those soccer players don't work out, we are leaving young men and young women that are ill-equipped to deal with a future that doesn't have soccer. And that's going to be on us. Uh, So for every one or two players that do, there is a lot of players where it doesn't. And now they've foregone any type of college experience because many of them were were, uh, possibly relying on a college scholarship and they've turned pro and so that's that's out the door. And many many of them haven't made enough money where you say, well, you just go pay for it later on. So they're going to have to go into the workforce. They're going to have to do different things. If they go back to college, they're going to have to find a way to pay for it. So all of those different things in, in our... In our zeal to create better soccer players, I just hope that we don't end up creating a generation and multiple generations of young men and women who are ill-equipped to lead a life as Americans and then lead America because we wanted to get them to kick the ball better. You know, I, I used to hear a lot in the past that the American player develops at a different pace. So when people talk about a 22, 23-year-old player being young, I would say, well, 22, 23 is not that young. But they tell me, well, for an American player it is, maybe not for a Brazilian or an Argentine. Do you still think that's true, that the American player maybe develops at a different pace than perhaps players from other countries, or that's no longer the case? Yeah, I mean, I think it's based on environment. Our environment and our upbringing uh, and, and just our culture and country and our history is very, very different. I mean, it's completely unique when you put it up against anything else in the world. And I think, so I think inherent in that, you're going to have young players that think about life, that think about soccer, that think about themselves in a very, very different way. And I think what, we are, what many are trying to do is to change that. And I, I know those are those are the best intentions, but that's changing a complete way of of parenting, of, of a complete way of of thinking about what sports are. And I just think that that's that's a lot of time and effort and resources into doing something that I think ultimately you'll never be able to change. And secondly, I'm not sure that we need to change. And so that's a long way of saying, Mossy, that I, I do think that players develop differently based on the culture that they come from. And I certainly think that Amer- American players, if they go through what we would consider a traditional development, will, will develop you know, maybe slower. I don't know. I mean, look, Christian Pulisic is such an interesting subject. And yes, he's an, he is to a certain extent an outlier because he is such an elite player. But I love when I hear his parents talk about what they did, and maybe more importantly, what they didn't do. And it's and it, it, it you know it mirrors 
so many other young players where there wasn't this incredible focus and, you know, he wasn't kicking a ball at two years old. Now, they recognized that he had an affinity and, and, a, and a skill uh, and a love for this game, and they encouraged that, as all parents would do when they see their children uh, excelling in something. That's, that's all fine and well, but this wasn't a, a Todd Marinovich type of situation by, by, by any stretch. As a matter of fact, they'll say, you know, when he wanted to play, he played, and he did other things, and, and he was a typical, quote-unquote, typical young American kid growing up playing soccer, and he fell in love with it. Now, he bypassed college and certainly went to a place that accelerated the, uh, the development that, that he had. But, you know, I say this oftentimes and, and people, you know, wince or, or yell or, or throw things at me. I'm not sure that if Christian Pulisic had gone the college route that he wouldn't have turned into the same player. Now, uh, with this caveat, he might not be playing for Borussia Dortmund because the reality is that the perception of a college player, even internally by us in the United States, is very, very different than the perception of somebody that goes over and succeeds uh, and succeeds in Europe. And, and at times, rightfully so, but at times, I think it's, it's misguided in terms of the way that we, that we view a college player. So he might have come out of a college player, been the exact same player that he, that he would have been uh, now, and yet he wouldn't have been perceived as, as good. And therefore, you know, he would have been drafted by, I don't know, the, the Philadelphia Union or whatever it ended up being, and he may or may not have played. So all of those different things aren't necessarily because he grew up in the United States or that he took this uh, that he took this path but it's fun to think about it's fun to think about what college soccer is going to be or what it could be going forward or does it just go away altogether and just becomes basically you know an amateur type of uh, situation where n when we look at quality players, very, very few ever, if any, ever come out, and none of them look to it as a viable means uh, or pathway to becoming a professional player. You're right. It will be very interesting to see. All right, Mossy, let's move on. That is our State of the Union for this week. As always, let us know what you think. Uh, we don't ask you to agree with us. As a matter of fact, it's sometimes that much more interesting when you don't, uh, and many of you don't. <laughs> we hear from you each and every week. Please let us know uh, your thoughts on this subject. Agree, disagree, other, uh, other takes that you have out there. As always, use that Ask Alexi hashtag, and we will uh, hopefully incorporate those into future shows. But it's always interesting to hear what people think, because this is an ongoing debate. This is evergreen. It's going to continue on. As I said, we're coming into the college season. There will be players that will be drafted at the end of this year or players that will go on to different places overseas that might be great players, that might even be better than Christian Pulisic. Is it because of their, the path that they chose? Is it because of their, their, their college time or not? I don't know. I'm just telling you that my experience is that you can be an international uh, quality American soccer player and still go to college. Moving on. Mossy makes the case. Yes, it's that time again. Time for Mossy Makes the Case, the segment of our show where David Mossy screams and yells, or not screams and yells, he makes a nice, calm, serene, and calculated case for something about soccer out there in the world, either on or off the field. All right, what's your case this week, Mossy? Well, we're taping this on Monday, August 6th. There's still three and a half weeks left in the transfer window in most of Europe, but not so in England. The window closes this Thursday, one day before the start of the new season. The Premier League kicks off Friday with Manchester United taking on Leicester City. Uh, we'll have more on that in the back three segment. How do you like that for a tease? Nice. Um, 
but this is a change for the Premier League to move the deadline up. It's something that, ironically, Arsene Wenger had been campaigning, campaigning for for many years, and now that it finally happens, he's no longer around. But um, the idea is to not have the season start with rosters still in flux and players coming and going. And it's something that I was very much in favor of, and many other people were as well. But the only issue is that the rest of the top leagues in Europe did not follow suit. So it's kind of left the Premier League at a competitive disadvantage here because they have less time to sign players. If they lose somebody after August 9th, uh, they can't replace them. If they have a big injury in those first few games or a glaring weakness reveals itself, they can't do anything about it until January, obviously. And so there's been a little bit of a backlash here. Mauricio Pochettino is already complaining about this. And I just wonder if the Premier League is going to lose its nerve here after a couple of years and go back to the way things were, or they're going to stick with this, even if the rest of Europe doesn't follow suit and they have to deal with this every year of uh, the other leagues having three more weeks to sign players than they do. So I'm wondering, first of all, what did you make of this decision of the Premier League to do this? And do you think it's crucial that the other leagues follow suit eventually, or it's going to create a bit of a problem here with the Premier League on, a, on an island? I like it initially, uh, because I always used to scratch my head at the thought that uh, like you said, a, a a team that you worked on over the summer, that you built, you bring into preseason, and now you're ready to go. And I know it's the best laid plans. I get, I get that. But then then you start to adjust and change on the fly after you've already started your season. That That always used to seem very, very strange to me. The other thing that it does is it further promotes the fact that uh, when you're paying for players, when you're that for teams that are involved in the Premier League, that it's going to be inflated. We already know that because of the TV contract, player values got inflated in England. Whether it's within England or whether it's certainly when it's coming from the out, from outside England, now this only prom- promotes that even more because now there's less time, and teams outside know that these English teams now are going to be more and more desperate. So that's going to only inflate the uh, the prices of players uh, that much more. But but in general, I, I I I like it because I think it it's almost a it gives you an out, almost a it's a cop out to say, okay, well, this is what we planned for, and then you don't reap the benefits or you don't reap reap the problems of bad management because you can go out there and change and say, well, this didn't work, I got to bring this in. The other side of me though looks at it and says. Yeah, but I, I kind of like the intrigue and I kind of like the drama and I kind of like the fact if I'm a season ticket holder for a team, I like the fact that there is that escape uh, latch that's that that's there and that that out, if you will, that if things aren't going right or if we recognize that we need to add X, we have a little bit of opportunity uh, to do that. So from a drama perspective, I get why that would be something that's positive. But in general, I think if you had to if you had to pin me down one way or the other. I like it. I like it that it's done, but it doesn't mean they're not going to uh, change it going uh, going forward. And and also, what does this mean then for uh, the winter transfer window? Is that is that just another opportunity to give people to change? And why should you have a winter transfer window um, if you're not going to uh, if if the whole premise is you know why should you change after you've uh, had your team in place? Yeah, and the issue too with coordinating with the other leagues is that uh, leagues start on different dates. Uh, La Liga and Serie A are a week after the Premier League, and then Bundesliga two weeks after. And so you can't even just have every league say, "Okay, we'll start. We'll, we'll make the, the deadline the day before our season starts," because then you'd still have these differences. So they'd, they'd all have to agree on the same date much earlier in in August. And I don't know if they all want to do that, but it, it's funny because the Premier League has such a financial advantage right now that you could argue this is just leveling the playing field. I mean, the the allure 
of the Premier League is incredible. Some of the signings this summer for newly promoted Fulham to be able to get Andre Scherla and Jean Seri, a midfielder from Nice that 12 months ago was being linked to Barcelona. And Crystal Palace signed Max Meyer and West Ham signed Felipe Anderson and Andre Yarmolenko. So I don't think anybody's shedding any tears for the Premier League. Uh, there's still such a prestige there and, and players are, are still flocking to England. But yeah, I guess this does give <laughs> these other leagues a little bit of an advantage that maybe kind of levels the playing field a bit. Well, I mean, also these leagues, they are you know, single entities. And I know not in the way that we use single entity, but they are, they are responsible for their business within their league and obviously their individual clubs within that league. So to get them all on the same page, you know, that would have to come from, you know, I don't know, UEFA, I guess they'd have to figure out a way. And I don't think that they, number one, can do that, nor, like you said, I'm not sure that they all want to do that. And I don't necessarily see where the benefits come from having everybody on that same timeline Maybe they benefit some some folks more than than others, but I think that there are others that are looking at this as opportunities to sell players, opportunities to jam, especially when it comes to England, jam some of these teams up because you know their window closes at different times. And even before you know th- th- this situation, th- that that was the case uh, of the of the different start times and all, and so that played into what was going on. But I, I don't I don't necessarily see them changing this back. Do you? I could see the Premier League, if enough managers complain after a couple of years, maybe looking at this and, and changing it back. I don't know. It's funny because uh, the Premier League is kind of behind the eight ball in terms of VAR, and they look ridiculous after this last World Cup where VAR was, was deemed a success, and, and they're the only top league that's not going to have it. But I think they're kind of at the forefront of this. I, I agree with you. I like this move, and I wish that the other leagues had followed suit, but uh, for whatever reason, they didn't. But, you know, I have to say, Mourinho's been criticized for a lot of things this summer. But one thing he said that I agree with, it is amazing how crunched the soccer calendar is. The idea that the World Cup final took place July 15th, and three weeks later, Manchester City and Chelsea are already playing a competitive match to kick off the new season. And he was kind of lamenting how everything has been so squished, the World Cup, the transfer window, you got to give players a holiday, now they're going to miss the start of the season, and they're getting paid these huge salaries, and they're going to miss competitive games. The whole thing, to me, it just feels very squished. I mean, we're used to American sports where the offseason lasts like several months. And so it, it's always mind blowing to me. I mean, we had like Champions League and Europa League qualifying matches taking place during the World Cup, which is amazing. Uh, and famously, there was a team years ago where their seasons overlapped. They were still playing like a playoff to settle something from one season and already playing qualifying to uh, for something for the, the next season. And so uh, I, it always amazes me how squished the soccer calendar is. Well, there's a simple solution to that, whether you're a coach or a player that is lamenting and crying about it. Don't play. Don't coach. So, you know, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I have a limited amount of sympathy. Uh, and I get it that it's crunched, and uh, I understand that players are playing a lot of games, but um, the, the reward is su- such that suck it up. You're going to be just fine, whether it's Jose Mourinho or, or any of these players. All right, Mossy, anything else on this? Uh, no, that's it. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Yes, indeed. It's time for the segment we call Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi and you send us questions, comments, concerns on Twitter, on Facebook, on whatever other social media platform you have out there. And then someday, if you're lucky, if you're one of the chosen ones, our good friend David Mossy will read your question, your take, your criticism on air as he is about to do right now. All right. 
Mossy, what are the people asking or screaming about this week? Uh, first up is at Killer Otter. Do you think the quote-unquote old guard, Dempsey, Bradley, Altidore, etc., is done for the national team, sort of like they had their chance now move over, or will we go back to them for the next four years? I think that they are done. And I think I've I talked about this before, but while I don't think it's prudent to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to some of the obvious talent that still exists, uh, but, is, uh, but is also tainted with that failure of not qualifying for the World Cup, I do think that this is a moment, this is a seminal moment that is ripe for a cleaning of house. And I'm not saying uh, Christian Pulisic and, uh, and these types of players need to go. Absolutely, he's going to be involved going forward. But I do think that there's an opportunity for a core of young players that are unburdened by the failures of the past to take ownership and responsibility and recognize the opportunity to go forward. So I think I'm falling on the side of, while there's certainly players that could continue to play, I think that this is the perfect moment to say, you know what, you've been wonderful servants uh, and you've, you've done a great job, albeit it ended in failure with not making the World Cup and a monumental failure, but thank you. We got it from here, we're going to go on. And that's what I hope Ernie Stewart does. Ernie Stewart, by the way, as we are recording this, uh, is in the office for the first time in Chicago. He started his job on August 1st, but he's in Chicago for the first time. Uh, keep in mind, that Ernie, one of Ernie Stewart's first jobs is to hire a coach for the national team. Dave Sarakin continues on being the interim coach. There's going to come a point where Dave Sarakin will probably have coached more and been the head coach more for the U.S. men's national team than a lot of uh, coaches around the world are that are full-time coaches that are the coach. But the fact is that Bruce Arena was let go in, what, October of 2017. By the time Ernie Stewart and the United States Federation pick a new coach, it's going to be over a year. A part of me says that we wasted this strange silver lining of, of time. A part of me says, I get it. This is an important decision. Ernie Stewart wants to take the time. Uh, and I do respect the fact that he wants to do that. But all of this plays into what that team is ultimately going to look like. And not even for the rest of this year, to be quite honest. I think it's probably going, the first time we're going to see this reincarnation of this team is going to be next summer at the Gold Cup, where there's a competitive environment, there's something on the line, and that new both coach and core of players is going to get together. That's a long way of saying, yeah, you know what? All those guys, thank you very much. You've been wonderful, but uh, we are moving on from you. At Stoppage Time Hub, what do you think of Cincinnati signing Fernando Adi before their MLS introduction? Does it set a precedent for other expansion clubs to do business two steps ahead? Yeah, so for those that don't know, Cincinnati coming into Major League Soccer, so they are going to be an expansion team coming into Major League Soccer, uh, they signed uh, forward Fernando Adi from Portland. So he will continue to play, well, he, he will no, he will go now and play the rest of the season uh, with, this, with, with the USL team, and then when it becomes an MLS team, he will be basically one of the first and certainly the face of this new franchise in MLS. I think it's smart. I think it's prudent. I think it's seeing around a corner. I think it's recognizing that you know, teams like Atlanta, teams like LAFC, well, not, no, not necessarily LAFC because they waited a while before they did anything, but certainly teams like Atlanta. And I think more importantly, looking at teams like Minnesota and how maybe not to do it, preparing for the fact that you only get one chance to make a first impression. And so going about structuring your team and finding opportunities right now is important. And that, I think this was a really smart signing because 
Fernando Adi was obviously on the outs when it comes to Portland. He, he is a player with MLS experience, and he scores MLS goals. There is a value to that, and Portland wasn't going to pay him what he wants. He can go here. He can be the star. It's a really good first type of signing uh, in the message that it sends to your fan base, and I think it also portends other things that you were going to do. It's an announcement of intention, and I think it was really, really smart and really, really good. And I think it's going to happen more and more and more as teams say, you know what, we need to hit the ground running. So Atlanta hit the ground running. Uh, LAFC certainly hit the ground running, although they did it in a little bit of a different way. Minnesota, you know, I, I, I joke with them about the soft launch, but the reality is until they open that new stadium, we're not going to see the best of the loons, and they knew that, and that was a decision that they made. Are they going to suffer for it? I don't know, but I think Cincinnati said, you know what, we want to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward when we become that MLS team, so that there's no, there's, you know, there's, there, there's absolutely no confusion that we are here and we are ready to go when it comes to what we're the product that we're putting on the field. And finally, at Kevin uh, GDM10. If a Zidane or a Guardiola was to go manage a lower-level team, how would you measure success during this era of super clubs? So if Zidane or Guardiola was to manage, I don't know, uh, let's say a Stoke or something like that, it would be about promotion or relegation. Uh, if, he's, if he was coming up, it would be about getting the team to the next level. If he was you know, in danger of going down, it was keeping them up. And this is such a fascinating discussion because there is a specific type of skill set that enables you to deal with being a coach of a super club and dealing with huge egos and incredible talents. I do not deny that. But I do think in this day and age where it's oftentimes about the quality of talent that you have to coach, so much more so than how good a coach you are. And the, the whole concept of coaching them up is sometimes thrown out the window. The first thing that any manager nowadays says when they walk into the owner's office on a potential hiring is, well, how much money do I have to spend? And, and yes, that's important because that goes a long way in terms of managing expectations and what you're going to be. But I always looked at quality coaches as you can get one player that plays at this level to play at a higher level, and you really coach them up. Now, the other thing that we don't see, and we see it much more in Major League Soccer because there's a much more even playing field and relative parity as opposed to uh, other leagues, most leagues around the world, is that we don't see coaches put in situations where they are dealing with rounder about the same type of quality as others. And that's what's so fascinating for me to, if, if I was ever able to see, because these coaches that we put on this pedestal, for the most part, they've only coached super clubs. And they've been very, very good at doing that. But if they were forced to coach either a team that was at the lower level and at the bottom, what would they look like and what would our perception be or change, what would the perception change to be? Or what if you, they had 10 different super club coaches and we put them all into a situation where they had to draft everybody from the same league? So let's say we put Mourinho, Klopp, we put uh, Pep Guardiola and all the coaches in the EPL. And they just had a draft. And so you could only take one player at a time. And so once that dispersal was uh, happened, everybody would be relatively on the same level. Now we'll see who the real coach is. And maybe that's a little harsh to say the real coach because, once again, I do value – there are certain coaches that are able to coach elite teams and elite players much better than others. And that is, that is a tool. But ultimately, when it comes down to true coaching, it's about your ability to take a – entity, whether it's a, a a team, I guess in, in auto racing, it would be a car that 
for the most part, is on the equal level of your opponent, and you're so good that you can get that car or that team to play better than your opponent. That's ultimately what makes a good coach. We will never see that, and I doubt that we will ever see any of these coaches that you're talking about take a lowly type of position. Uh, but that's also why I talked about how I think that the experience for Patrick Vieira in New York was so much more beneficial than a lot of other places that he could have gone in terms of his uh, coaching development. But, you know, in this era of super clubs, it would be, as I said, uh, you know, keeping the team up or something like that would be considered a success. But you're not, you're not playing romantic, expansive type of, uh, of, of soccer that we associate with some of these guys with some of the talent that they are, uh, that they are given. They would say, look, I might want to do this, but I can't because I don't have the players to do that. And then you would ask, well, if you're a coach, get them to do it. Well, there's only so much the coaches can do. Yeah, you know, a guy that's uh, really shown me something recently is Rafa Benitez because he had been in that first class, if you will, for about a decade and won the Champions League with Liverpool and then coach Inter and Chelsea and Real Madrid and now has had to drop down to Newcastle, but did a very nice job last season, got them to punch above their weight mid-table. So he was able to sort of adapt to that different reality. So I think, you know, Rafa really kind of boosted his reputation away with uh, the job he did at Newcastle last season. But uh, that is it for Ask Alexi. Okay, uh, as always, make sure you send us those uh, questions with the hashtag Ask Alexi, and David will hopefully be reading one of yours in the future. All right, we're coming down to the end. The Back Three. We're coming down the back stretch here. We wrap things up with, as you heard, the back three. Some of the biggest stories, games, moments, things that are happening out there. Mossy, what do our back three have in store for us today? All right, first off, uh, fresh controversy surrounding the Qatar 2022 World Cup. The Sunday Times reporting that the Qatar 2022 bid, they launched a propaganda campaign against its rivals, the U.S., Australia. Uh, they claim to have documents they've obtained from whistleblowers that were part of that Qatar campaign. And, you know, the rules are such that you're not supposed to disparage rival bids, but the Qatar 2022 folk, apparently they paid journalists in America to write columns questioning the need for the World Cup to come to the United States, and they paid people to complain to their local congressmen that that money could be spent elsewhere. The whole idea was to create this impression in FIFA's eyes that there was a lack of support in these countries for the World Cup, and that would be beneficial to them landing the World Cup. So in, in the uh, pantheon of Qatar 2022 controversies, does this even register for you? I mean, is this a reason to reevaluate maybe FIFA stripping the World Cup from Qatar or no? I mean, there, there's much bigger issues here that, that FIFA seem to have already like uh, been willing to overlook. So this isn't going to be the thing that's going to get him to trouble. Yeah, it doesn't register with me in that I already assumed that this stuff was going on from the start. And uh, the fact that we didn't, or at least uh, made out that we didn't, uh, is at the uh, at at best disingenuous, <laughs> at worst uh, completely dumb, and, and certainly naive to expect that any of this wasn't uh, happening. But I don't think it changes anything. The only way that the the Qatar bid ever changes is, I think, honestly, is if this whole November December time frame can't work, and there is a complete revolt on the fat on the on the part of all the leagues. Um, that they can't do it. But I still don't even see how it gets taken away. I mean, the, uh, the political ramifications, uh, FIFA, Johnny Infantino, and, and the world to a certain extent has a vested interest in having this go, go forward. And, and not the world necessarily, but certainly that area of the world has a vested interest in this going, go, uh, going forward and going forward well. And at its core, 
I actually can understand it. I mean, at its core, FIFA fundamentally is there to spread the gospel and spread the, the and spread soccer to as many different places as possible. And going into this area of the world for the first time lives up to that. Now, how it got there and whether it was by merit, as I said before, I always assumed that, that it wasn't. And these types of shenanigans have been going on uh, and probably will continue to go on. Maybe not to the extent they have done in the past, but this doesn't surprise me in the least. I don't think that it's going to change the World Cup. I think come 2022, uh, we will all be in Qatar. I think it's going to be a great World Cup, to be quite honest with you, especially because of the proximity and the size to be able to get to multiple games. They're going to spend more money than anybody ever spent to make sure that this is the best advertisement for not just the country, but for the region. And FIFA has, I said, a a real vested interest in making this come off well. But I don't see it changing unless something completely crazy happens and a Sunday Times report on the sabotage plot involving (laughs) planting stories and stuff like that, I don't even think comes close to rising to the level where it would uh, derail the 2020 World Cup from happening in Qatar. I wonder who were the journalists in the United States that took money to write disparaging columns about the USA hosting the 2022 World Cup. Uh, I, don't know, I know Grant Wall, if you pay him enough money, he'll write anything. So uh, I don't know. He's <laughs> a... <laughs> we love you, Grant. I know you're listening. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Uh, I requested this topic. Timothy Way has gotten a nice run for PSG uh, in the ICC, and then he started this past weekend in the French Super Cup against Monaco in China. He scored a goal in a 4-0 PSG win, but uh, this is what got my attention. A lot of people on Twitter were throwing this in the face of MLS folk and saying, you see, a club like PSG is willing to give a young American player a chance and give him playing time, and he wouldn't be playing in MLS. You know, that whole issue of MLS not developing young talent. And we can delve into that if you want. I know you did a State of the Union on it once. We can revisit all that. But but here's the issue I had. Uh, can we wait until Nate Neymar is back back. He, he made a brief cameo in this match, and Mbappe is back, and Cavani, and PSG season starts for real, and we see how much Timothy Weah really plays before, before we start holding up PSG as an example of a club that gives young players chances, because if you actually follow what's going on with this club, they have a very good youth system, but players are all looking to leave because they're concerned about playing time. The kid who assisted Timothy Weah on his goal, uh, this Stanley Ansaki, who's an absolute stud, who started at left back, he can also play center back, he's refusing to sign a professional contract with PSG because he's worried about playing time and he wants to go elsewhere. Christopher Nkunku, who also scored in this match, uh, he's concerned about playing time and maybe looking to leave. The kid at Arsenal that everybody's excited about, Matteo Guendouzi, and by the way, I'm sure I'm butchering all these names, but he's a PSG youth product that left because he was concerned about playing time. And the great stat I love from last season, after match day five of the Champions League, PSG had scored 24 goals and conceded one. And the only one of those 25 goals that was scored by a PSG Academy product was the one against Moussa Dembele for Celtics. So I just find it like kind of comical that like PSG are being, if you want to make a point about MLS not developing young talent, fine, but to hold up PSG as an example, because Timothy Way started a couple of ICC matches and this glorified exhibition this weekend, to me, it was kind of silly. I don't know where you stand on all that. Well, when I think about it, I mean, y- you can't have it both ways, okay? You can't say, you know, we, we suck at developing players, and then when we have American players that do well elsewhere, uh, you say, well, we, don't, we didn't recognize. I mean, we developed these players. And Christian Pulisic, we developed these, the, the, these players. And the fact that they are doing well other places, 
That's a good thing. That's a good reflection on what we are doing and, and, the, and the opportunities that we are giving players at a young age and how we are coaching them and how they are, are, are developing. Now, the argument about we're not giving enough opportunities to players in the United States, well, the other way you could look at it is maybe there's a bunch of players in the United States that if they were given the opportunity that way out has been given, would excel. But, but they're not. Because there's just not enough op- there's just not enough opportunities and spaces out there for American players to show what they are. I argue that when we have an American player that does well, he, he, he's not the exception to the rule. He's actually part of a whole generation that are very, very good. And for whatever reason, uh, a connection here, a pathway here, a passport here, this player was given this opportunity and got to this place where they're playing. But... Every time an American player does well overseas, we don't have to look at it as an indictment on what we aren't doing or the problems that uh, the problems that they have. And that does not mean in any way that I am uh, that I am saying that the United States doesn't have challenges and doesn't have problems that needs to get that need to get fixed and that are problematic. But you know, we love to kick ourselves constantly for what we aren't, and sometimes we also have to pat ourselves on the back. For, for, uh, for what we are. It's a great story to have uh, Timothy Weah doing what he's doing. As you mentioned, it might be a little bit shaded and a little bit different when the reality of what PSG sets in. And who knows, he might, uh, you know, he might get loaned out. Who knows you know, where, where he might end up being. But just enjoy it. Just have a good time. And here's a guy that uh, is going to continue to play at, at, at this high level in, the, in Europe, theoretically, and it, uh, barring injury or anything like that, he's a possibility for uh, the World Cup that we were talking about in uh, in four years. So these are these are all good things. And uh, God, we're we're just we, we we love to crush ourselves for for what we aren't. And maybe I'm a little Pollyanna, and and I and I get that. But I'm much more bullish and much more positive about American soccer than others. Um, but I'm also I don't think that I that I look through rose-colored glasses uh, all the time. I recognize that there are problems, but this is not one of them. Well, you're just looking at trend on Twitter. Uh. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, but one more note on PSG. Uh, I've heard people bring up the fact that Tuchel gave Pulisic all that playing time, and now he's going to do the same with Timothy Ware. Remember one thing. Tuchel was not in favor of that whole youth movement with Dortmund. It was one of the issues that he clashed over with management, which is why he's not there anymore. He kind of went along with it begrudgingly, but he didn't like it. So be careful about hailing Thomas Tuchel as this manager that's like great with young players and, and predisposed to give young players playing time. Again, I, I hope it works out for Timothy Way and he, and he carves out some kind of role there. But, you know, with Neymar and Mbappe and Cavani and, and, and Di Maria and Draxler, et cetera, I mean, it's not going to be easy. So let, let's wait and see on that. It's also when you go to a different place, you have different ownership, you have different uh, priorities and stuff like that. So uh, it's one thing to do it at Borussia Dortmund. It's another thing to do it at, at PSG, given the expectations of what PSG is. And even within Borussia Dortmund, I mean, who was the who was the guy from uh, IX that came to Borussia Dortmund? Bosch, Peter Bosch. right? I mean, you know, he was all about youth movement and stuff like that. You know, coaches coaches change and coaches morph and and coaches. Uh, when they get in different environments and different situations, it's not as easy as simply saying, well, I did it here and I'm going to do it here. Number one, a lot of coaches aren't going to do that because they recognize that they can't do what they did at a different place here. And to expect them to do that, I think, is misguided by the folks uh, from the outside, certainly. But also, if you're hiring somebody, expecting them to just simply replicate what they do. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not informed by what they did in the past, but a different environment means sometimes a whole different set of challenges and 
you have to have someone that has the ability to take the lessons that they learned and the successes and try to implement some of those, but also recognize that you're going to have to change and adapt to the current environment. Okay, we'll end on this. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. The Premier League season kicks off this week. Uh, it's funny because I've been reading for weeks that Manchester City are going to come down to the pack. It's going to be much tighter this season. It's not going to be a runaway. And then they go out and have a very impressive performance on the Community Shield. They blow away Alex Dowd's Chelsea. And now everybody's back to thinking that they're on a class of their own and, and that nobody's going to be able to challenge them. Uh, which way do you go on that? Do you expect a more competitive Premier League campaign? Or do you, do you think Manchester City are, are still far and above everybody else? And it, it might not be by quite the same margin, but still they're going to be the class of the field this season. No, I think that they are, uh, if you're power ranking teams, they certainly would be at the top. But I think a team like Liverpool right now, because of what they have done, uh, the expectations are going to be higher. I think it's going to be much closer this year than it was last year. That's a that's a good thing. Uh, I think there's going to be much more relative parity when it comes to those elite player uh, teams at the top. I think they'll have a much better understanding of what Manchester City is and an ability to at least try to combat that uh, when they are when they are playing uh, against each other. So I'm excited. I, I I can't wait for the EPL season to start. Um, you know our our good friends over at NBC. I was uh, going back and forth with Kyle Martino today on uh, on Twitter. But you know, and we always disagree about different things. But ultimately, I love the work that they do, and I'm looking forward to them and the, the and that crew starting that season off. As you mentioned, Bundesliga coming up. Uh, so many different things and so much different soccer that's going to be out there to sink our teeth into the continuation of uh, of Major League Soccer. Uh, all that kind of stuff is is all good, but whether it's EPL or anybody else, I want competition. I don't want teams running away with it. That's that's boring. And I know Bundesliga is, has been kind of a one horse race. The Premier League actually has been much more competitive than than other leagues around there. But this this top heavy type of scenario, I think, gets boring uh, and gets old real real quick. Yeah, Liverpool, you're right. They're the one club that's been aggressively to try to close that gap. And on paper, they're the one team you could see making a real run at City. Manchester United, as much as they, they, they feel like a complete mess, there's still like a little bit of residual respect there that it's Mourinho and United, so you can't totally discount them. And I also kind of feel that way about Chelsea, as bad as they look this weekend. You know, they've won it two of the last four years, and when they bring in these new managers, they have a habit of that first season doing well with them. So I think Saudi will figure it out there, and you can't totally discount them. But yeah, if I was a betting man, I would say probably City, and if not them, then Liverpool. I kind of have a good feeling about Arsenal this season. I think they might sneak into the top four, maybe not, maybe not challenge for the title. Uh, and, and I also have a good feeling about them in the Europa League. Remember, they have the uh, Unai Emery as manager now who knows all about winning the Europa League. So that might be how they get back into the Champions League. Maybe they finish outside the top four but win the Europa League. So, uh, yeah, very interesting season coming up in England. I'm excited about it as well. So that is it for the back three. All right, and that brings us to the end of uh, this episode of the State of the Union podcast. And at the end, we always do our one big thing from today's podcast. And, you know, oftentimes I will reference back to the State of the Union. I'm not going to do that today. I, I just, this is, this is going to be off the cuff. This is going to be a surprise to our producers and a surprise certainly to David Mossy, what I'm going to talk about here. And that is this. Uh, this is my ode to David Mossy. Those of you that have listened to this podcast uh, know what a quality person that this guy is and what a wonderful source uh, and wealth of knowledge that David Mossy brings. Uh, and not just in terms of X's and O's and facts and all that kind of stuff, but he does it in an entertaining way. And, and he's got a wonderful character and a personality, and he has made this podcast so much better uh, than it ever would have been if it was just me uh, alone and certainly if it was me with, uh, with, with others. And I thank him 
for that on a daily basis. But what I'm going to give you a little peek behind the curtain here at what David Mossy does for us and certainly what he did for us this summer at the World Cup. David Mossy, as I mentioned, each and every podcast is a writer and researcher extraordinaire. He is a dual threat, and sometimes that works uh, against those of us that want to have more Mossy in our life. And so when you are seeing a Kate Abdo, or when you are seeing a Rob Stone, uh, or when you're seeing uh, any of the hosts out there that are reading stuff off of a prompter, and if they're doing it well, you can't tell, uh, most of that, uh, and oftentimes, that is written by David Mossy. And he's so good at finding the perfect voice and the perfect words and differentiating between the different personalities that we have. That's, if, if he only did that, he would be incredibly valuable for, uh, for us. Then you add the fact that David Mossy also is an incredible researcher. And when you say an incredible researcher um, and, and provider of, of content... Uh, it doesn't mean that he's just throwing out stuff all the time. He understands how television works, he understands how media works, and he understands how to filter it down to give us, and when I say us, all of the talent on the set. Because look, there, there, in this, as soccer people, there's only so much soccer that we, we can retain. Normal human beings can only retain so much. Mossy can retain even more, but even Mossy can only retain so much. But this is my thank you to David Mossy from all of us. And I am in this moment going to speak for all of the men and women in front of the camera, whether it's hosting, uh, whether it's color analysts, uh, whether it's people just in general that need information about soccer. I want to thank you, Mossy, for everything that you, you do because you not only keep us informed, but you do it in a way that makes what we do better and enables us to give a better performance and ultimately makes the content that we crank out. And whether it's the, the content on television, whether it's the digital content that we cranked out, crank out, uh, whether it's the written form, uh, whether it's audio, whether it's video, all that kind of stuff, you are very, very good at giving us the information and giving us the words so that when we do crank out that content, that it is informative and that it is entertaining. And so that, my friend, uh, is how I'm going to end the podcast today. And I know most of our listeners out there will agree with me, and I'm not telling you guys anything that you don't know. David Mossy is a star. And I thank my lucky stars that I get to work with him on a consistent basis uh, at Fox and that he's part of our Fox family. All right, David Mossy, uh, if your uh, mom and dad have been listening to this podcast, well done. All right. You raised a hell of a, of a son there who is so important to what we do. He's a great uh, uh, asset when it comes to the work that he does, but also he's just a great human being. So well done. Mossy, anything to add before we leave? Well, first of all, that was perfect, just like we rehearsed it. But uh, no, uh, no, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Very, very kind. Very kind. Now, uh, as always uh, in this uh, in this media game, uh, whenever somebody says something nice, uh, you tend to get a big head. So I don't want this going to your head and recognize that you're only as good as your last broadcast uh, or your last script writing or anything like that. So I don't want to see a dip in form when it comes to the things that you're doing. We got a lot of stuff going on here, uh, whether it's the podcast, whether it's Bundesliga coming up, MLS coming up, uh, national team games coming up, all this stuff, and obviously working into next summer with Gold Cup and World Cup and stuff like that. So a lot of good stuff to do don't let this go to your head because i tell you i'm telling you right now i will bring you down i will bring you downtown my friend and i will bring you back to earth right quick all right so you haven't done anything yet but well done so far thank you mossy thank you everybody for tuning in you can find david mossy on twitter you can find me on twitter we got our facebook 
Hit us up with that Ask Alexi uh, hashtag anytime you wanted to uh, ask a question or give us a comment. And uh, who knows, we will maybe in future episodes be talking about what you are talking about on the State of the Union podcast. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll have another episode next week. And as always, size the day.